When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, all you heroes and champions, crows, pirates, and inquisitors. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast. I'm Shelby. And I'm Austin. And we are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe. From the Maker to Lyrium to Aravels, we will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Hey, Shelby. Hey, Austin. You ready to talk about some Dragon Age? Um, yeah. All right. You sound unsure. Well, that's just not how we normally do it. Kind of <laughs> just threw me off a little. I live to throw you off. I know you do. <laughs> okay, well, tell us about our topic for today. Well, our topic today... Well, first, before we jump into our topic today, how's your playthrough going? Mm. Yeah. So, um, I just finished my playthrough of Dragon Age Inquisition that I've been working on for a long time. So, I finished him. Um, He was a righteous, holy inquisitor who romanced Cassandra. Um, First time playing a male inquisitor. It was very fun. I liked it. So, now I am into a evil mage hero of Ferelden romancing Morrigan um, which is new for me usually I go for the the goody goodies yeah are you judging me no okay <laughs> look there's no judgment I have done every evil decision in KOTOR imaginable I know and some of them are really dark so no no judgment Okay, well, what about your current Dragon Age playthrough, then? Well, my current Dragon Age playthrough, I abandoned my last Inquisition playthrough because I screwed up my romance and didn't realize it. I was, like, almost done with the playthrough, too, and I just abandoned <laughs> it totally. And you so now gave I'm playing up. Ori- Yep. And so now I'm playing Origins again. I am playing a Dwarven Warrior who I haven't really, the game hasn't told me what their personality is yet. Okay, you're just copying me. I always tell you that, that I don't know who my character is yet. 
No. Because I've dealt with some things about, like... So, as a dwarf, I feel like I don't trust magic very well. Okay. So, you hate Morrigan. Just because... Well, not really hate her, but, like, just am wary of the use of magic. But... Also, as a dwarf, I think the Chantry is full of crap. Well, you and fit so, in on the surface if you don't trust magic. Yes, but I also don't trust the Chantry. So I don't trust right. mages and I don't trust the Templars. So who do you like? The dwarves. Do you? If you're a dwarf commoner? Well, there is that. I think with the dwarf commoner, it's a cent- central thing of like, like if you look at America... You don't have to love the, like, people who are rich and things, but you could still, you know, like, like, the concept of, like, country, like, want the best for your American people, you know? Yeah, sure. So, like, as a dwarven commoner, I want the best that's for the dwarven people, even if I don't care who is on the throne or all of these inner politic plays between the dwarven nobility. Kind of like Varric. You know, I wouldn't say Varric doesn't care about the Dwarven people, but he's not interested in playing the politics games of the Dwarven people. Well, then it makes me really interested for the decisions you'll make when you go to Orzammar. Yes. It'll be interesting because, because I've played the Dwarven noble background, that very much colors your, who you would pick to rule Orzammar. Anyway, that's enough tangents about our playthrough. So, today we are talking about another kind of belief system in Thetis, which is kind of what we've hit at. We've done kind of culture and all of those things about other things, the elves, the Chantry, what they believe, a little bit about their history and things like that. But now we're going to move to the darker side of things and today we're going to talk about the old gods the blight and maybe a little bit about the dark spawn but the dark spawn really deserve their own episode yeah there's too many of them for one episode right and so let's start by just answering this question like what are the old gods we hear them mentioned in connection to the dark spawn but if you really don't kind of really dive into the codex or other things you don't really get their name like i remember when i played da2 because i didn't dive into da origins i was super surprised in the legacy dlc when corypheus came out i was like oh my gosh Mm -hmm. this is a tevinter magister that is in here when is if i had been paying attention to dragon age origins and really paying attention to the codex things that i was picking up it really drops a lot of hints that there's a Tevinter Magister here. Yes. You know, because, I mean, you go through all of these trials of Dumont and all these things like that. So it's definitely in the game and you could find it, but you really have to look for it. It's one of those things that it's very easy to miss. So what are the old gods? Yeah, they definitely don't jump out at you. Um, But basically... The old gods are, I would say, a pantheon, um, and basically they are the gods that Tevinter worshipped before they became followers of Andraste. And so they worshipped these gods for like thousands of years, and essentially they are, you know, another set of gods 
that exists somewhere in the realm not quite alongside the maker but like in the same plane of existence I think that's the right word um, but basically in minus 2800 ancient the old gods begin whispering to humanity from the golden city uh, and the chantry says the worship of the old gods is the original sin of Thetis so Basically, the old gods, um, like I said, exist on the same plane of existence as the maker, and they're sleeping gods that were worshipped in the form of dragons um, across Thetis, but most significantly in the Tevinter Imperium thousands of years ago. And the worship of the old gods does exist in pockets throughout Tevinter. Um, there are a few comics that go into this and I haven't read them all, so I don't want to speak on it a lot, but there are, I think a few, uh, subsets of people into Venter that are like trying to bring back that worship of the old gods. So, um, if you're interested in that, check out some of the comics, but anyway, so the old gods are, like I've said, these gods, whatever, there's seven of them and legend holds that it was the old gods who initially taught mages how to use magic. So for a society that highly reveres magic, it makes sense that they would worship these gods um, over, you know, whatever other god may exist. Okay, so as we know, the arch demons are awakened old gods. So they're sleeping. Um, that's the whole kind of point of the old gods that they're sleeping and then they become, or they have become arch demons and then they get awakened. So let's back up a little bit, uh, back to the ancient age. So the worship of the old gods is rampant into Venter. It's everywhere. It's their dominant religion. So depending on who you were, depending on your family, uh, depending on your values and like where you grew up, certain parts of Tevinter, um, certain cities or even certain classes, you might worship a different old god more than another one. So um, it's kind of like denominations almost in Christianity. Like, okay, yeah, we all worship the old gods. Yeah, we're all Christians, but I belong to the old god Dumat, or I belong to this denomination in the church. So it's kind of like that. Um, and each of the old gods, there are seven in them, each of the old gods had a high priest who basically led the worship um, of that old god throughout Thetis. Like they were the high priest, they were responsible. So in minus 395 ancient, these seven Tevinter magisters, of course, they're all Tevinter, they opened a gate into the Golden City. They did this with blood magic, and they entered the Fade physically. According to the Androstian Chantry, the result was catastrophic. The city turned black, the mages came back twisted and corrupted, and they devolved into monsters. This is the first dark spawn. So the taint that these seven magisters carried infected 
others, plenty of others, turning them into dark spawn as well. So it kind of spreads and spreads and spreads and spreads. So who are these magisters that reach the Golden City? Well, they are referred to as the Magisters Sidereal, and there's seven ancient members of the Magisterium, each a high priest to the old gods. And we don't actually know many of their names. They often, we know a little bit about them, we don't know their names. They often plotted against one another as well as their enemies. And we don't know their names because they use their titles to protect themselves. So most, if not all, records of the seven, that's what they're referred to a lot of times, they've been destroyed. So, conductor of the Choir of Silence is one of them. Um, and that person, we know that, we know that magister's name, um, and that's Sethius Alamdaris, a.k.a. Corypheus. So I actually do have a question yeah, about yeah. that one. About Corypheus? Um, because I just, in my Inquisition playthrough that I abandoned, uh-huh. I did the war table operation the that name. Dorian does. Yes. Yeah, because you find that. And by the end of that, the reports kind of suggest, like, this might be it or it might not it's better mm-hmm. to keep, but and basically, I think it might be Liliana or someone who's like, it's better to just accuse them of this so that they fall in line as opposed to trying to find out if this is actually who Corypheus would be. Like, so like the people are who, like the people who are his descendants. Yeah, is this like a true thing that or confirmed that Sethius uh, Almamar Almdaris. Almdaris? Alamdaris is this Corypheus? I mean, I guess we've established in our other episodes that no, nothing is confirmed 100%. Um, but I read this in the Dragon Age wiki and in the world of Thetis. So I would say it's pretty confirmed. Yeah, it's interesting thing because we talk about, in other video games, we talk about this. And one thing that comes to mind really quickly about this is in the Elder Scrolls franchise. Every piece of lore that you receive is from an in-universe source. So like it's someone in the universe writing about this topic in the universe. And Dragon Age is kind of like that. Like all the codexes come from a source within the universe. So you often have these different perspectives that come up. And so that's why things sometimes seem like we don't really know what's going on here yeah absolutely and i think um the codex or whatever um entry that that the name comes from is most likely that war table mission i'm not sure exactly because i didn't write that down but like 99.5 percent sure right and that's i mean if you study any kind of like history or religion or anything you'll find that most of the time you'll run into people saying, this is our best guess, a really nice and powerful, educated guess, but it's still a guess. It's still a guess, yeah, Mm -hmm. totally. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll say this is all a guess. I don't think, I think there are a lot of things the Chantry has guessed at, right? Like, Mm -hmm. there's so many things the Dalish have guessed at trying to recreate their history, so I don't think that that's, unique for um, Thetis. 
Right. Okay. So back to the old gods um, and the magisters. So Corypheus is like kind of the leader um, of this group. It's his idea to go into the Golden City, and he kind of convinces everyone else. Um, so he's kind of the leader. And then the next one is um, the architect of the works of beauty. And we also meet this character in the game. He's the architect from Dragon Age Awakening and um, from the book The Calling. So we meet him too. And then the others, we don't know their names. We don't really know much about them. Um, so I'll just list their titles. Um, Watchman of the Night, Forge Rite of Fire, Appraiser of Slavery, Augur of Mystery and Madman of Chaos. So all of these titles correspond with the specific old god that they worship uh, and whatever that old god, you know, is kind of the, the master of in the universe. Right. So what I find interesting about this name, these names is the Augur of Mystery. Um, I'm pretty sure, I, this just came to me, but I'm pretty sure that the auger is also a title for um, a leader in Avar tribes. It's kind of like their keeper or their mage. I'm pretty sure that their title is the auger. I just feel like that's a very random tie-in. I don't know if it's a coincidence. I am always guilty of reading too much into um, coincidences because I don't really believe in coincidences but I find that interesting. So, do you want a little history on what an auger actually is? Sure. I assume sure you, you don't mean know. the post hole digger. No. Okay. <laughs> Even though Dwight Schrute did teach me that. Um, but Of course Dwight Schrute no, had so, to teach you that. In Greek mythology, prophecy was given out via an oracle called the Oracle of Delphi, which was associated with the god Apollo, who is the god of prophecy, as well as the sun and archery and all kinds of things like that. And so when Rome starts to get established and their mythology comes out, this position of the augur is kind of created, and the augur is the one who interprets the animal sacrifice to find these omens that exist for the Roman thing. Okay, so that's exactly like the augur and the frostbacks in the Avar tribes, because yes. they interpret, you know, whatever their spirits, their gods want them to do. Yes, kind of like... Um, I know you and I watched Last Kingdom, but, you know, um, Abba in Last Kingdom, he has mm -hmm. uh, the the sage, the seer, the seer, like an auger is kind of like a seer. Yeah. Too. Um, so it is kind of interesting that they all have different kinds of titles, which I'm assuming has to do with the god they represent. Yes. Yes, yeah, so um, Dumont is, for example, Dumont is the dragon of silence. 
And so Corypheus is the conductor of the choir of silence, which is just so creepy to me and honestly kind of reminds me of all of the little, um, the little, um, I guess they're not little, but all of the dark side Sith worshipers uh, that, that Palpatine has raised up in The Rise of oh, Skywalker. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm picturing when I think of the conductor of the choir of silence. Yeah. So it creeps me out. It is pretty creepy. Okay, so you ready to break down and go into each of the old gods? Yeah, definitely. Are uh, you sure? I just want to say, how yeah. many, there are seven old gods, correct? Yes. yes, there are seven. Do you remember from our second episode how many forgotten ones there are? There's three named forgotten ones, but they're think, they named. think there are more. Four if you include Fen'Harel. Fen'Harel, yeah. Okay. Well, if we want to talk, if you want me to talk about a little fan theory now, I can, or we can wait till we get through. Why don't you go ahead? You seem very excited. <laughs> well, there is kind of like this fan theory, not confirmed or anything, but I think it's very, very poignant to point out there is this theory that the old gods and the forgotten ones are one and the same. And one of this fan theory also leaks that it's not the old gods that are whispering to Tevinter Magisters. It is, in fact, Finn Harrell, the dread wolf Solus, who is whispering to the Tevinter Magisters to enter the Golden City. Because I think, and I think what they, they rely a lot on Trespasser to get this kind of idea out in that Solus very much regrets his decisions, at least in the Trespasser, like when he talks about creating the Fade and what he did to the Elven people. And as we've established early on, Solus Fenharel, the Dread Wolf, is perfectly fine using whatever sources or minions he can get his hands on. Right. And so, so you this think... idea, he did that to see if he could somehow undo what he did. So do you think that Fenharel is controlling the old gods? So you're saying that he's more powerful than the old gods? I would say that he, well, the, I'm just, the, the interesting thing about this theory and what it gets at is that Fen'Harel is said to whisper in the dreams of mm -hmm. the elves. And it's the same kind of thing. The old gods whisper to these Deventer Magisters to create this dark spawns. The theory also takes into account the idea that Solus is so angry about mm -hmm the Grey Wardens coming after these old gods to try to find them and kill them and do everything like right. that. And combined with the fact that Morrigan believes she can purify these old gods. Well, In her yeah. ritual. I mean, she doesn't just believe it, she does it. Right. And so there's a lot to reel that, like, there is this kind of regret that Fen'Harel has 
and it's this idea that the forgotten ones are not as evil as the codex and lore would have us believe right and that fen harrell is also trying to bring back the forgotten ones and like bring down the veil yeah that's really interesting i definitely see where it's coming from right and like why would why would corypheus listen to fen harrell well, does he listen Unless, to him, or does he just work with him? I guess that's true. But it's also, like, that's a big jump from where we see Corypheus mm-hmm. in Legacy to where he is at Inquisition. I know there's, like, a good amount of time between there, but I, th- I find it hard to believe that he would look at this elf and just be like, okay, yeah. Let's go. Especially as a Tevinter Magister. Right. And Corypheus doesn't strike me as a person who doesn't think through his plan. Mm-hmm. He just has a false assumption, but he thinks through his plan. So that's part of it is that somehow Corypheus recognizes Ben Harrell as a similar power to the old gods or something like that. That's just the theory. That's interesting. I think I think that it is, it colors an interesting perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And depending on, I think whether or not you view Solus as good, it's totally dependent on what happens in his quest, how you treat him in Inquisition, and everything like that. Because if you're, if you befriend Solus or romance him, there's deep regret in what he has he feels like he has to do at the end of trespasser yeah and like it comes back to their that quote with him that what he did the actions that he chose every other option was worse right right all right that's enough of that tangent in a fan theory so let's get into these old gods so Dumont is the one that we probably, at least I know, mentioned yes. the most. Well, the, it's uh, fitting because I think Dumont is kind of the leader of the old gods. And it makes sense um, if Dumont is the leader of the old gods because Corypheus is kind of the leader of the high priests, the magisters. So uh, Dumont is definitely the one we know the most about. He is the dragon of silence. And he is the archdemon of the very first blight. And each of these old gods is associated with a constellation. And I didn't go back and double check this, but almost all of them, if not all of them, are... You can find... Yes, you can find them um, in Astrariums in Dragon Age Inquisition. So, Dumont. Okay. According to the Chantry, after the fall of the Magisters in uh, 395 Ancient, the first Darkspawn burrowed into um, the underground prison, um, and the old god was corrupted and transformed into the Archdemon. This is like the first time it happens, launching the first Blight. So there is other ancient lore that actually says it's the opposite way around that Dumont is the one that created 
the dark spawn and led them against Thetis, not the dark spawn who created the archdemon. It's kind of like a chicken and the egg situation. Mm-hmm. So, after meeting Corypheus, that second interpretation of Dumont created the dark spawn and led them against Thetis, I don't think it seems too far off. Um, his control over the dark spawn meaning Corypheus's control over the Darkspawn, really suggests that he might have some kind of role over them after um, Legacy. Right. right. So I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, and I don't think we're ever going to know um, for sure the answer to that question, but... So we're kind of getting into the first blight here. Um, but it's really hard to overstate the devastation of the first blight because you have to think it's unparalleled in its devastation. It's remembered in history as the longest, the bloodiest, and the most devastating blight in history. Dumont's Darkspawn Horde literally almost won. Like, they almost overran Thetis and totally annihilated all of the races. Um, and the only thing, the only thing that changed this is the creation of the Grey Wardens. That's what really turns the tide of the war. And even then, it took the sacrifice of almost all of the Grey Warden Order to slay Dumont and drive the Darkspawn um, Horde back. So, it's really hard to overstate how devastating the blight, this first blight was because it lasts for, for almost 200 years. That's an incredible amount of time, but back to Corypheus for a little bit. So Corypheus, probably the first dark spawn, um, he claims that Dumont promised him and the other magisters that they would have the golden city and that it would be theirs. Um, in battles, he very often chants, Dumont, grant me your powers, um, which in Legacy, and I think in Inquisition, uh, but especially in, in Legacy, he uh, gets a new power every time he chants that. Um, we are supposed to think that that power is from Dumont, of course. So there's also a quest called the Altar of Dumont, um, that results in a unique amulet, um, but you have to make a bunch of sacrifices to the altar of Dumont. I think that's interesting. And then Corypheus also has a statement or like a little side comment where he talks about um, that ever since he awoke, he no longer feels the presence of Dumont. When he recites the verses of Dumont, he hears no whispers, no commands. Although he has, you know, disavowed Dumont um, and the other old gods throughout his campaign to attain godhood in his own right, um, at the very end of Inquisition, he, in his dying moments, as you're killing him, he desperately calls out to Dumont one last time. Um, And the former high priest is met with total and complete silence. Hmm. which like that makes me almost feel bad for Corypheus which like screw him he sucks but I mean I it it would be really crushing 
um, to get to that point where not only have you reached your wits end, you have called out to your God one last time, but like you've already deserted your God once. Like this is not just a moment of desperation. This is like the end for you. This is the breaking point for you. Like the only thing you have left, the only thing you know how to do is come back to this God that you worshiped um, for years and years and years. And you do, and you're met with silence. It's, it's a little sad in my opinion. And I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad for Corypheus because again, he sucks. Um, but it's just, it's really sad. I think it's interesting. It makes, it begs the question to me, where are the magisters during the first flight? Because we hear talk about Dumont and fighting back Dumont and the dragon and all of that thing but at some point i'm assuming during the first blight the gray wardens imprison corypheus so are the other magisters held in similar prisons obviously the architect was not right i don't think we know because and we don't really know anything about the other five magisters um the only two we know about are corypheus and the architect and i really thought after playing daa awakening i was like well where is the architect in inquisition he's kind of not there so i don't know i don't think we know the answer to that question right i and i haven't played awakening so i don't know what (sighs) i haven't finished i don't know what the architect what happens to him in the end of awakening well we're fixing to talk Um, about it (laughs) okay and so it's just an interesting question because that begs the thing that Dumont is like truly dead. Right. I think that, yes, yes. Um, and that the way the Grey Wardens work is that they do truly They truly kill, kill the old, old god. god. Yes, I agree uh, with you. Which is an interesting thing that happens in mythologies. The idea of a mortal being killing a divine being is a real shift in like cosmic power when you're talking about how a, a religion or pantheon is set up. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, well, let's go back to I the just, first blight. Um, yeah. So like I said, it lasts almost 200 years. It ended the same year that Andraste was born, according to the Chantry. Um, like I said in our Andraste episode, The date of her birth is hotly contested, but according to the Chantry, it ended the same year that she was born, which um, is very prophetic, which is probably why they say that that was the year she was born. Anyway. This is another another fan theory that talks about this, that Andraste is the result of a similar ritual that Morrigan performs. Oh, dude, that's interesting. Well, it okay, very fascinating. I guess they don't have birthdays. Like, we don't know what month Andraste, you know, like, how does that all work? Right. But right. regardless, know. yeah. But it it's still a thing that, you know, there is still a moment of, and we'll talk about this, but Origins kind of paints like, yeah, you killed the Archdemon and now it's over. But the first blight is not that way. They kill Dumont and then they still have several battles where they're pushing the Darkspawn back. Well, yeah, and you have to think about it. Again, they didn't know. (laughs) They wouldn't have known, really, 
that, um, well, I guess this is the first time when they kill the archdemon, it comes back because they don't know about the whole gray warden mm-hmm. thing. They don't know about that. Right. So, um, they have to kill him twice, basically. Right. Okay, so back to the blight. We're still on the first blight. But anyway, so uh, the first blight, it's very destructive. Uh, at the same time, the, the dwarves of Orzammar are fighting. They are in their own political turmoil, which is eerily similar to the events of Origins. Um, but they didn't have an organized response to the threat of the Darkspawn. Sounds familiar. And the assembly was so tied up with the infighting that the dark spawn spread to the gates of Orzammar. The gates, people. That's that's ridiculous. So Idukin of the warrior caste realized that like the entire race of dwarves was facing doom, that they were literally all going to die, took command of the armies, called upon the smith caste to supply them with arms, enlisted the aid of the mining caste to collapse all the overrun passages and bypass the assembly and the nobles entirely. Eventually, Idukin received victory, uh, but with the loss of countless, countless, countless tigs. And we deal with all of that in Origins. Um, you, we go to several tigs that, um, you know, have been lost. So in reward for his heroism, Idukin was made paragon. Um, Caradin's golems were also created and lost during the first blight. And one of the reasons why this blight is so devastating is because the Darkspawn, they've taken over the entire Deep Roads. They're everywhere. And so they're allowed to spread unchecked, literally to every corner of Thetis. Um, they come up in the Taventer Imperium in minus 380 ancient. Um, and the armies of the Imperium, they do attempt to fight back, um, but they, they just couldn't be everywhere at once. So the horde continued to rise up. Taventer was forced to turn its focus more and more inward, protecting its people, leaving outlying territories to fend for themselves, and the Taventer army was called on to protect Minrathus at the fate of everything else. So, this is destructive, this is devastating, of course, but it's also existentially devastating because not only are the people, especially of Taventer, dealing with this loss of their land, loss of their homes, loss of their family, loss of every, you know, any financial thing that they had. They're also dealing with, potentially for most of them, the loss of their religion because they have to face the fact that their own gods have turned against them, right? Gifts and prayers to the remaining old gods, they just went unanswered. And um, a lot of people in Taventer began to question their faith, going so far as murdering priests and burning temples. A lot of people rose up in rebellion. Um, and so it's kind of like at the same time as the blight is happening, there's almost like a Taventer civil war happening. So it's, it's doubly terrible. Um, and 
In response to this reaction from the citizens, the magisters summoned demons in response. Of, co- of course, what a great, uh, what a great way to diffuse the tense situation. Let's summon some demons. So they left corpses to burn as examples to anyone who would dare revolt. But still, the Imperium began to fall apart with angry and delusioned citizens, disillusioned citizens doing what centuries of opposing armies could not. So, things are looking bad. Very bad. Very bad. So... But as we know, it's... The bad is not the end of the first flight. No, it's not. So, Grey Wardens are founded, and they're all seasoned veterans of the Darkspawn battles. They build Weishaupt during this time, and they also develop the joining ritual. So, their first recorded battle was the Siege of Nordbotten. They mounted now extinct, kind of, griffins and mounted a legendary success. It was literally the turning point of the, of the first blight. So, Dumont is finally defeated at the Battle of the Silent Plains. The Horde... It remained very large, and battles persisted, but without their leader in Dumont, they became disorganized, um, and by 195 ancient, they were forced underground. Um, In 40 ancient, so right before the Divine Age starts, Dwarven High King Threestone of Orzammar ordered all of the deep roads to the remaining Dwarven kingdoms to be sealed. Within a decade, Hormok and Gundar two dwarven cities had fallen and that meant Kalsharok had no direct access to the surface and Orzammar never heard from them. So those are some of the effects of the first blight. So that's probably the god and blight other than the fifth blight that we know the most about. Uh, So let's just keep going. Uh, Yeah definitely. Let's keep going down these old gods and get get us knocked out. Yeah, okay. Well, the rest of them are the rest of them are not going to be I don't have as much info. Um so Zazakel is the dragon of chaos and the archdemon of the second blight. He's the old god of freedom. So the second blight lasts 90 years, which is still a long time. It pretty much lasts all of the divine age. Um, but not as bad as the first blight. Zazakel is slain by the Grey Warden Corrin. It began in the Anderfells and ended in Starkhaven. So, yet again, Darkspawn overrun, like almost all of Thetis. Tevinter abandons the Anderfells in this time. And also during this blight, the Circle of Magi, Templars, and Seekers are all founded as well as the first inquisition. So, we talked about this in a few of our previous episodes. Emperor Draken of Orlais, he's the first emperor, he unites the kingdom. He is a hero of this blight. He and his army, he's the leader of his army of course, they stood at the forefront of every major battle during this blight, spreading the chant of light along the way. Um, so, in 131, Divine Minrathis is attacked by the Darkspawn. 
The Orlesian armies marched north um, and relieved the siege of Weishaupt Fortress when the fortress was about to be overtaken. And the wardens were so impressed with Emperor Draken that they converted to the Chantry. Uh, the, their united forces moved further north to salvage anything left of the Anderfells, leading to its conversion to the Chantry and annexation by the Orlesian Empire later that year. And Draken also wanted to uh, conquer Taventer as well, but he decided to aid the Grey Wardens instead. So he dies in 145 Divine and is succeeded by his son, Cordillus Draken II. Um, he is not the leader that his father was, as it goes. So, uh, in addition to Orlé, Taventer, Grey Wardens, uh, unified Alamari tribes also helped defeat the Darkspawn. Um, they had a leader named Hafter, who was the first Terran of the Alamari, and there are a few codex entries about him. I think you can loot his sword or maybe his uh, shield or something like that um, in one of the games. So, the second blight ends when Zazakel is defeated at the Battle of Starkhaven. Okay, so the third blight is a really short one. Um, and so the third blight happens when Toth, the Dragon of Fire, awakens. And uh, so this one happens in the Tower's Age. And it only lasts for 15 years. 15 compared to 200. That's crazy. So Toth yeah. was slain at Hunter Fell by the combined armies of Taventer, Grey Wardens, and Orlay. Um, you can find the Toth constellation in the Western Approach in Dragon Age Inquisition. So Darkspawn first appeared and swarmed in the cities of Marnus, Pell, and Virantium in Taventer, and in a few cities in Orlay as well. After a few years, the Darkspawn began to reach into the free marches, especially the cities along the Menanter River. Um, Orlay and Taventer chose not to help the free marches until the Grey Wardens stepped in and basically forced them. So, uh, the Battle of Hunter Fell happens in 325 Towers. Um, all, the, all the armies meet, and they destroyed Toth in one of the bloodiest battles in history. It was said that the Darkspawn corpses were piled as high as 100 feet and then burned. With the death of the Archdemon, the Third Blight came to an end. After the Blight, the empires of Orle and Taventer tried to expand their reach, and uh, Orle took Navara, and Taventer took Hunter Fell. Uh, both of these um, countries' kingdoms would regain their independence by the end of the Tower's Age. And oh, I have just one fun fact about the Third Blight. So, Thorn of the Dead Gods. They are daggers that you can find in DAO. They are crafted from the sword that delivered the killing blow to Toth. Oh. I know, right? Makes me want to go find him right now. Okay, so the fourth blight. The fourth blight happens when 
Anduril awakens, the dragon of slaves, and the old god of unity. So this one is also fairly short. It lasts for 12 years. Um, Anduril arose in 512 exhausted, exalted and lasted until 524 exalted. I'm just laughing at exalt at exhausted. Okay, age. shut up. <laughs> My anyway. life is the exhausted age. <laughs> That's true. All right, anyway, let's keep going before I derail us. Again. Okay, so there was a holiday into Venter named Anduralis, um, and then the blight happened. <laughs> so now it's called Summer Day, uh, which I find hilarious. Anyway. I have a question. Uh-huh. How do they know which old god they find? Like, do the Grey Wardens get visions? Dude, I have no clue. I have All no right. clue. <laughs> okay. There's our I research. I have no idea. Someone. That's a great question. Somebody research that. No. All right. Oh, anyway. So, the fourth blight, we know a lot about it. I'm not going to go into it totally. Because if you're interested, you can read The Last Flight book. I love this book. This is probably my favorite novel. Um, it goes between kind of a modern day uh, perspective and Thetis versus the tale of the fourth blight. And the main character, both of the main characters are a couple. They're both really awesome. Um, and so I really, really like that book. It's really good. So I'll just sum up the main points of the fourth blight. Uh, basically, this blight's pretty bad. It's, it's probably the worst one. Um, definitely worse than the, the third blight. Not worse than the first one, but... So the dark spawn have... They're all over Thetis. They come up from the deep roads from multiple points. And they completely overwhelm Antiva and Ravain. And they lay siege to the capital of Hosburg, which is, or to the capital of the Anderfels, which is Hosburg. Um, and the royal family of Antiva doesn't really cooperate with the Grey Wardens, so they just kind of get decimated. Um, and in the Battle of Aisley in 524, Exalted, a combined army from Orlais, the Anderfels, and the Free Marches under the banner of the Grey Wardens, defeated Andoral's horde, and the Archdemon was slain by the elven hero Garahel. So Antiva was hit the worst. Like I said, the entire royal family was killed. And the effects of this blight really lasted a long, long time, more than the other blights. Um, you really see this in the Anderfels, um, so they're hit really hard by this blight, and like the geography is hit hard, harder than the other places. So this blight was really bad, and it led to the view that this was the last blight, which takes us into Dragon Age Origins at the very beginning, where a lot of people are like, is this even a blight? Can blights mm -hmm. even come back? We don't know. It's probably fine. 
Um, so that kind of gives us a little bit more context. Okay, so the last important thing I have to say about the fourth blight is that it's after this blight that the griffins go extinct. Um, and the reason for this is actually really sadistic um, and kind of shows you how bad this blight was. But basically, to turn the tide of the battles against the Darkspawn and the Archdemon, but especially the Horde, the Grey Wardens craft a modified version of the joining ritual for the griffins so they basically make their griffins gray wardens too which it, it makes them lose their minds um, they become extremely aggressive uh, they won't listen to commands they take extreme risks that they would not have beforehand and the book, Last Flight, really goes into this. Um, so, it, yeah, it's really heartbreaking because each of these Grey Warden riders have such a bond with their griffins. And not that that bond is totally destroyed uh, by this modified joining, but it's broken. Um, because you're putting your griffin through something that's horrifically painful, that changes them. And they just can't trust you the same way. Um, so it's really sad. And the author, her name's Leanne Merciel. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. But she did a really fantastic job writing this. I just can't say that enough. Okay, so that's the fourth blight. Um, I'm not going to get into the fifth blight a lot because that's the events of Dragon Age Origins. But I will tell you just a little bit about it that you might not know. Um, and that is that the archdemon of the fifth blight is Erthemiel. He is the old god or dragon of beauty. And as we know, Erthemiel is defeated in Denerim by your wonderful hero of Ferelden, or maybe Alistair or Loghain, during the events of Dragon Age Origins. However, something that some of you might not know is that Erthemiel was not awakened by Darkspawn just finding the Old God. Instead, the Darkspawn were helped by the Architect, who is a sentient Darkspawn similar to Corypheus, who we meet for the first time in Dragon Age Awakening. And the Architect is the one who guided the Darkspawn toward Erthemiel. We meet him in Awakening, and there's he is the central character, central storyline of the book, The Calling, written by David Gator. So there are two more old gods that uh, have not been awakened yet. And those old gods are Razakal, and Razakal is the dragon of mystery, and Lusakon, who is the dragon of the night. Okay, so the last thing I have to talk about with all of these old gods and the blights and everything is that there's a Chantry scholar. I'm not sure if it's Tevinter or Andrastian Chantry, but one of them. But um, a Chantry scholar conjectured that there may have been an unknown eighth old god who is represented by the constellation Draconis that was stricken from the historical record. I find this interesting for um, a lot of different reasons, but mainly because 
there are a, a certain few characters who may or may not be related who have the unique ability to transform themselves, to shapeshift themselves into dragons. And I don't know if that would be connected at all. Um, but I think that it's interesting, at the very least. It is. It is interesting. Lots of potential things going on. And that's all I've got. All right. Well, we'll take a break and we'll see you back and we'll talk about our side character. Yep. All right. So our side character for today is the architect who we first meet in Dragon Age Awakening. And we read more about in the calling book. And so Shelby, why don't you just take us through and tell us more about this architect. Yeah, yeah. So the architect is unique. We meet him. Technically, we meet him before we meet Corypheus. So he's the first intelligent or sentient-ish darkspawn that we meet in these games. Um, and he's an emissary, so he can use magic. Um, and he's the first darkspawn that we meet that can develop a will of his own. He's unusual because he is not subject to the call of the old gods, nor to any other darkspawn compulsion. Like, um, they're a horde. They can, it's not reading each other's minds. It's simultaneously that they all participate in the same mind. He does not do that. He has his own mind, um, and he makes decisions for himself that regular darkspawn would not do. So, uh, like I mentioned earlier, the architect was the high priest of Erthemiel and the, leaders, the leader of the builders who constructed monuments to the glory of the gods. So, that makes sense if we think about him um, being the high priest of the dragon of beauty. And that's what Erthemiel was. His, his title is the architect of the works of beauty. So I think that that makes sense that he would be in charge for building temples and monuments to the gods. Um, and like I said earlier, he was one of the magisters who physically entered the golden city in the ancient age. And he was, uh, the, the architect, was actually the first magis magister to be approached by Corypheus, also known as Sethius Alamdaris, the high priest of Dumat, to join in his endeavor to reach the Golden City. After being spoken to by Sethius, the architect uh, gathered like all the acolytes and priests of Erthemiel who lived at the temple, um, they, he gathered them all to pray to Erthemiel and like seek counsel and just kind of figure out what to do. Well, the dragon of beauty, Erthemiel, gave them all supposedly the same command as Dumont gave to Corypheus, and that is open the gates. So they all think, okay, this cause is righteous and holy and is what we're supposed to do. So let's, let's reach the golden city. Um, like Sethius, who had been referring to himself as the conductor of silence, Erthemiel's high priest also took a title, the architect of the works of beauty, um, to hide his identity. 
in this endeavor. So they chose to hide themselves because they were afraid of uh, what the people would think. Uh, They were afraid of backlash, which really worked in their favor in the long run, I guess. So... Right, right. So Corypheus meets in secret with the architect, tells him all the things Dumont has told him, and the architect actually found the idea of raising a mortal themselves above the gods blasphemous. And at first he refused to help Corypheus, um, and he didn't change his mind until Arthemiel supposedly spoke to him. Um so to me, it very much seems like the architect and Corypheus, yes, they're worshiping similar gods, the same pantheon. Yes, they have similar ideas and theologies and histories even, but they're opposed in what the, they're, they're opposed to each other in like, what are the boundaries of their theology? Like Corypheus is willing to go to a place that the architect is not necessarily willing to go to. Corypheus is willing to make himself a god above the old gods, above the maker, above the elven gods. And the architect is like, no, no, we worship the old gods. We're not better than them. Um, so I think that that's a really interesting difference between the two of them. It really kind of is this idea that Bioware... It's the architect is kind of their first stab at like, okay, like you've been fighting these darkspawn forever. Now here's awakening. Oh, let's throw a wrench into your preconceived notions about the darkspawn. Yeah, totally. That's exactly what it is. Mm. Um, so anyway, ultimately, the architect decides to work with Corypheus. And the architect's decision to work with Corypheus convinces the rest of the magisters that they should as well because I think they're kind of seen as the two most powerful um so all seven of them come together or eight of them we don't really know Um, but all seven of them come together and they reach the golden city and they're tainted and cast back to Thetis as the first of the darkspawn like the legend goes but unlike Corypheus, who was imprisoned and retained his memories of his prior life, the architect seems to have forgotten his mortal life entirely. Knowing He just knows he's a unique darkspawn. He doesn't think, oh, I'm special. I could be a god. I was the architect. I was the high priest of Arthemiel. He just thinks he's different, and he doesn't know why. So his goal is really not attempting to succeed Arthemiel or really any of the other old gods. He is trying to purify Arthemiel and bring him back into the glory that he once was. Um, And so by extension, he wants to purify all of the darkspawn. He tries to remove the taint entirely. But in doing so, Mm. he leads the darkspawn to the old god. Um, to Arthemiel. And then, as we know, that begins the blight and the events of Origins. So, right. that's his, like, main goal. But he also has some side goals about, like, what can we do with the Darkspawn and the Grey Wardens and all of these people that now exist in Thetis, right? So, he wants to create peace and beauty throughout Thetis, which is really ironic to think of a Darkspawn wanting to do that. But of course, he wants to do right. it in his Darkspawn way. He, at, 
first, um, his plan at first is to give everyone in Thetis the taint, uh, which is a terrifying thought. But once he learns more about Grey Wardens, he abandons this plan um, because he learns about what their blood can do to the Darkspawn and to, of course, the Archdemon. And so it's almost like he wants to perform a reverse joining where he wants to give Grey Warden blood to the Darkspawn, which gives them essentially free will. It gives them more of a mind for themselves instead of them being tied to, you know, the, the communal mind, if you will. Um, so it's like a reverse joining and it frees them from that group think. Um, and he actually, he does this as a test. He tests several of them um, and a brood mother, which is how, that's the storyline in Dragon Age Awakening. We meet the mother... She's the brood mother that he's given free will to. And I think it's his name is the Withered, who is the very first, technically, I guess he's the very first sentient um, darkspawn capable of higher thought that we meet in Awakening. And he's, he's the one that's like, oh, my master wants to meet you um, close to the very beginning. Hmm. So he's got a few that he accomplishes his tests on, but it, it really, it, does not work on the broodmother without her being able to sense the thoughts of her children she kind of loses it like she's like where are they what's wrong with them why can't I hear them um, and so she's kind of losing it and we see that a little bit in awakening um, and that mm. that's that's a lot of the fallout from his plan so it doesn't really go according to, you know, how he thinks it's going to go. Um, but ultimately, in order to achieve his plan to unite the Darkspawn and Thetis, he enlists the help of several Grey Wardens, who you meet in the Calling, and the help of a First Enchanter of a Circle. And we get into all of this story in the book The Calling. I recommend it. It's pretty good. Not my favorite, but it's still pretty good. We get to learn a little bit more about King Merrick and his relationship with Fiona, spicy. Uh, and you get to know a little bit more about Duncan. But back to the architect. Here's the thing that I find most interesting about this. I don't know how he has this power, but he does. Um, and the way that he kind of convinces the Grey Wardens to be on his side is through the use of this power that he has. And this power that he has is the ability to speed up the calling of the Grey Wardens. Yes. Uh, yes. Right. So he speeds up the calling to where they're, they're basically dark spawn themselves down there in the deep roads. And of course they have no mirrors. They can't see themselves. Um, and so the Grey Wardens that are there, especially the older ones, they find themselves seeing his point of view. They find themselves understanding where he's coming from because they've become one of them so it's really this right. horror-esque um plot line which creeps me out but is really interesting nonetheless right and that's really interesting because Corypheus has the same power like when when he dies because and takes he... over another person's body no no because 
remember the whole plot of why is because every gray warden in Orlay received the calling at once. Well, and 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 in in uh, the the prison that you go to in Legacy, you meet the gray wardens there that have been. It's almost the reverse where. Uh, they've basically become dark spawn, and they don't know it. Right, right. And so it's just the fascination that these magisters have over the dark spawn and the control that they have makes a really interesting point of when we're going into this next game into DA four or whatever it's going to be called. What that means for like, I think there are two lines that really bio or has built up really three you have the elven history and the elven relationship to humans and everything which is kind of poignant in soulless you have the mage templar tension which is kind of resolved by the end of inquisition but not really um, it's everlasting depending on who you put on de- yeah depending on who you put as divine and what you did with the mages that depends mm-hmm. um and then there's this dark spawn, and they've built up and built this lore surrounding the dark spawn. And it's really Dragon Age Two is the only game where you don't really fight the dark spawn, even though you do fight the dark spawn. Right. And but that's just Act One, and then you don't really see them that much again. Yeah, that's true. I'm just not um, sure that they're gonna explore. I don't think they're going to explore another blight, number one, because we've already done that with Origins. No. But I, I would just be curious how, you know, the Darkspawn tie back into whatever the plot line for DA4 is. Right. And it, it'll it be a point of, like, right now there's only been one blight per age. Yeah. Really? And so it would be a little unprecedented to have another a blight in a different two blights in one true but if you think about it the fifth blight was it really a full blight because the dark spawn didn't just find they didn't just find her they were helped to find her so if you take that out of the loop the schedule if you will for Darkspawn to find another old god you know it would be time so I don't I don't know if like there are different sections of Darkspawn, like finding, digging for old gods at the same time. I'm not really sure how that all works either. Right. Um, but, yeah. Right. So, yeah. Do you have any last closing thoughts? Well, I just think the architect is really fascinating, and I really wish that he had been in Inquisition. Um, because he's so lore-driven, yeah. and he's so connected to Corypheus. Um, so it makes me curious if they've just written him out of the picture or if they have a grand plan to bring him back. Right. Maybe. We shall see. see. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for today. And so thank you all for listening and we will see you next week on the Dragon Age Lorecast. Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. As always, you can find us on Twitter at DA Lorecast. 
If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, email them to us at dalorecast at gmail.com. The Dragon Age Lorecast is a part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club. You can join the Robots Radio Network Discord by clicking the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed our show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe and give us a review. See you next time. Have you ever wanted to deep dive into the lore and stories behind all your favorite Marvel movies? Then do we have the show for you. I'm Captain Shanko. And I'm Psych88. Join us as we dissect the media megalith that is the MCU. We'll talk about the origin stories, the fights, and everything in between. The MCU Lorecast releases on all major podcasting platforms on Mondays as part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club and can be found on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.